right, welcome to the MindWorks Podcast with Dre and Kev. Today, we got a special guest, Kevin Hammer, the new chapter leader of the Gays Against Groomers organization. We are here today to save the children, basically, and talk about it all. I kind of want to hear more about your story about, like, how you came to be the chapter leader of Gays Against Groomers and how you started off with the organization. Well, yeah, so, um, you know... My, my past, I was actually uh, an activist in the LGBT community. Uh, this is going way back before the Q was there, back when you'd even hear GLBT said. Uh, so I, I was an activist since college, um, involved a little bit before college, actually, but really got more involved in college. And, um, you know, I, was, I marched on Washington, D.C., marched on the New York State Capitol, met with my representatives, um, all to make the change happen that I wanted to see happen. Um, things started to change. Uh, went way too far for me. Mm. I felt like, you know, everything I had been fighting for was accomplished. You know, legal protections. So, for example, right to make medical decisions, you know, right to inheritance. Like, all this was accomplished in regards to relationships. So, I started to step back. Unfortunately, when many of us stepped back because we had achieved everything, uh, a certain element stepped forward, uh, a dangerous element. They took the reins of the movement, and they decided to push for the indoctrination, sexualization, and medicalization of children. And as I saw this happening, I just I, I couldn't stand it. Mm-hmm. So I started on my own. At first, I started to make posts about how I felt, for example, drag was inappropriate for children. Same. How, you know, I don't support children transitioning in any fashion. Uh, then a friend uh, mentioned uh, Gays Against Groomers. Said, had you heard about Gays Against Groomers? And I was like, yeah, but, you know, it, it was kind of distant to me. You know, it's just an organization <laughs> I had heard about here and there, some, some chatter. Uh-huh. Uh, but then um, I uh, went, actually this March, uh, I went to visit friends in Arkansas. And that is where I happened to meet Chris Barrett, uh, mm-hmm. who is the Missouri chapter leader. And... Um, through a mutual friend, and it went from there. Chris and I started talking. He was like, you know, you should join. You, you should join. And I was like, all right, absolutely. So when I came back to New York, I uh, made sure that I had joined and got through. At the time, Rachel, she was the, uh, the chapter leader for New York State. Mm-hmm. Uh, amazing woman, absolutely amazing. Yeah. Uh, Shout out to Rachel, by the way, because absolutely. she came on the show before, too. Yes, Great person. Yeah. Shout out to Rachel. Absolutely, Rachel is absolutely amazing, and I part of my focus is I can only hope to make her proud in my leadership. So when Rachel, for understandable reasons, and our hearts and prayers are with her, she stepped aside from leading the New York State chapter, um, I, I took over, and here we are today. Thanks. Congrats wow. on that. Yeah, well, my, my, yeah, congrats on everything coming yeah. this far. I, I wanted to ask, like, what was the uh, like first goals that you all had that you said that were reached what were those goals that you wanted to reach so for me right uh one of the problems was uh when and i met a lot of couples older couples who had had this experience was legal protections for couples right Mm -hmm. um so for example inheritance uh medical decisions if one of you is in the hospital uh those those types of things and a lot of people were like well you know you could just sign legal documentation which is true but it it was um much more costly Mm -hmm. Uh, back in that time, and I mean, there were even some couples that adopted each other. <laughs> it was um, it was insane. Wow. Um, so it really was a fight for. It wasn't even about marriage. It was like civil unions would honestly even have been fine as long as all the legal protections were there. Um, and that was the thing because even if you did sign documentation, a common story would be that you know there would be a couple, a gay or lesbian couple. One of them would end up in the hospital. One of them would pass away, unfortunately, and the family of the one that passed away or was in the hospital would step forward and try to take control of everything. And if they had a judge that had a personal bias, right? The judge often would just disregard that legal those legal documents that were signed. And often the families, the argument would be, especially if it was a situation where the one spouse had passed away, the argument that would be presented to the judge would be, well, this person coerced our child, oh, led wow. them down this path. Yeah. And many times, like I said, if the judge had that personal bias, the judge would go with it and give all control to the family. So for me, having heard that story many times, and I know this is anecdotal, but you can actually read up on it, but still, I met many older 
people who this who had gone through this. Mm-hmm. This terrified me. So what I wanted, what I wanted to achieve were legal protections for me and the man that I would choose to spend the rest of my life with. Right. And that was accomplished, right? right. That was accomplished. Nice. Like I said, for me, it didn't have to be marriage. I would have been fine with civil unions, but the fact is, it's the way it went. It's what was accomplished. Protections done. I decided, okay, it's time to step back. Unfortunately, like I said, some really bad elements stepped forward, mm-hmm. took the reins from us mm-hmm. that stepped back. Elements that were always there to a degree, but had been kind of, you know, on the outskirts. You know, when they did try to pop up, they were usually, you know, pushed back into place, you know, yeah. pushed away. But when, every, when the main leaders left, and another thing that happened was a lot of these organizations, when marriage equality was uh, accomplished, they got used to making money. They got used to making a lot of money um, from from How this. How so? Uh, the who, who started making a lot of money? Though? Well, you had a lot of individuals who would make money from you know the push for for marriage equality. Uh-huh. You know, a lot of organizations, fundraising, a lot of people, you know, filling their pockets, a lot of marketing out there, um, advertisements, all that stuff, right? Kind of reminds uh, me of the Black Lives Matter campaign. Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, you know, in, corporates. in my opinion, any truly um, noble or, you know, uh, organization, uh, any any campaign to achieve a goal, uh, its ultimate goal should be to not exist. But once you get money involved, you know, like for us at Gays Against Groomers, yeah. our goal is to not be needed. Yeah. That is our genuine goal. And that's what uh, at the Gays Against Groomer event, I think that's what Jamie Mitchell was actually saying. Like, where do uh-huh. you see this organization going in like five years? And she was like, I hope it doesn't have to exist. Exactly. And I was like, <laughs> oh, yeah, me too. This is yeah. crazy. We're even having these conversations and shit. Like, <laughs> Exactly. And that should be the ultimate goal of any um, activist organization that is trying to accomplish something, your goal should be to no longer exist someday. But once profit gets made, where they say, you know, profit equals power and power corrupts. And a lot of these organizations, once marriage equality was accomplished, they realized, hey, we need a way to make money. And what's the next thing? And unfortunately, the next thing became a focus on children, uh, specifically transitioning children, indoctrinating children in schools, and gays against groomers, we are the response to that. The fact that they couldn't just set it down, push it away, and have us all move on with our lives. It's so interesting because I feel like, you know, uh, just recently, I know gays against groomers posted a lot of stuff about uh, the Vice, Vice TV show with the drag Boy who became yeah. a drag boy, whatever the case, wow. drag queen, drag princess. I don't know, whatever. The Haven't case seen is. that one. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty crazy. And uh, you know, like it, it, the the way that they're trying to normalize it and like yeah. push it, like it's like you can mm-hmm. you can you know normalize any type of thing. It's crazy and scary in this world yeah. by just like showing it in a form where you just like take off certain bits and pieces that make yeah. it seem normal you know it's it's crazy and and they really do try to market that way obviously framing framing that's Mm. what it is when you frame certain aspects of something and it makes it seem like this is normal we should Mm -hmm. all accept it look at this guy he's crying because his son never got to be who he truly wanted to be type of shit (laughs) and it's just like are you are you you know what i mean like what is this (laughs) well that's the thing is there's usually steps to this yeah uh to any kind of grooming so you know in at gays against groomers we are very much focused on obviously the grooming of children right the Uh indoctrination sexualization and medicalization of children but by the uh in regards to the larger culture, the culture as a whole, there's a social grooming going on that being we're all being targeted. Mm-hmm. So basically, we're being told at first these things aren't happening, okay. right? Then we point yeah. to the examples, and they're like, oh, but it's not happening a lot. Mm-hmm. And then eventually it becomes, yes, it is happening. It's happening a lot, but you have to accept it or else you're a bigot. Mm-hmm. And that is the process that we see. And when it comes to child drag, children actually not just attending drag shows, but taking part in drag, that was all also that process right people would be like oh it's not really happening oh it's only happening a little bit and now it's celebrated if, if you don't accept it you're a, a homophobic bigot which to me it's interesting though when people question drag right and i get this a lot is being accused of being homophobic which i do find i find it very amusing when i get called I, I homophobic was, you, you know, you know uh, so, yeah, no, that 
is very That's funny. Right. But I was actually thinking about it the other day because I, I, you know, because I'm a straight man. So, like, me talking about this, I'm probably targeted more. But yeah. the, the funny part is that I feel like I've had more gay guests on my show than straight people. You know what I mean? So, oh, it's like, am I really homophobic then if I'm inviting all these oh. gay people on my show and talking about you're, this stuff and trying to make more it, heterophobic, I guess. Yeah, you're, you're self-hating I, hetero. Yeah, there you go. I'm a self-hating <laughs> heterophobe, right? Just because I don't have enough heterosexuals on my show. But, but great. seriously, when I get called homophobic, usually part of my response is, yes, I am so homophobic that I married another man. That is the level of my homophobia. Please make that make sense. But I also get comments sometimes. And I remember uh, when I first got this on X, formerly Twitter, uh, mm. someone commented on one of my posts. Their response was, uh, prove that you're gay. And my response to this, my response to this was honestly, it was um, prove that I'm gay, question mark, perv much. And it's like, we get this. So th that is also another thing is we, uh, Gays Against Groomers, our membership is specifically LGB and T. We do have trans mm -hmm. members. We also have detransitioners. Mm -hmm. um, and the reason that became a focus, a requirement for membership is because that is the criticism we face, right? Yeah. Is there's going to be a lot of people saying, and they do, they say, oh, it's a, it's a bunch of heterosexuals pretending to be LGB and T and just masquerading and you know it, like it's crazy. I mean, when you when you Google us, you know we uh, Wikipedia has us as a far right Nazi group, you know, extremist, yeah. uh, anti LGBT organization. It's crazy. It's crazy. The ADL uh, accuses us of anti LGBT rhetoric um you know we were shut wow. down recently our on uh, on instagram our yeah. national account was really? because of this yeah. um it was it wasn't for long you know within the day within I, th I think it was like six hours we were back up i believe it was six hours but mm. the point is we were shut down yeah and uh it's just it's absolutely insane and i believe i forget her exact role uh but the uh head of glad, glad. um yeah. she had messaged an, an individual and we got our hands on the messaging basically she you know a, she was asked her response to it and she said we were a hate group and so i really do challenge people to show me how we are a hate group because i i don't see how we possibly are how we are anti-lgb or t mm -hmm. uh when our members are all part of the, uh, you know all fall under that umbrella yeah it's, it's weird and like I, I don't understand how people can be accusing you guys of not being gay and <laughs> trying to uh, masquerade you guys as straight people disguised yep, as yeah. gay people like that is that is uh pretty intense exactly, that's, that's kind of like exactly, far exactly. That's, that's a little too much i mean come on like why would you pretend to be gay to like yep. make a movement to help kids, I, I don't get that. And what's what's also interesting is that when when the anti-LGBT accusation doesn't stick, they go other places as well, right? They I I actually took part recently in a, a campaign, an awareness campaign up where I'm from, mm -hmm. uh, to get a drag story hour event canceled. We mm -hmm. were successful in doing that. This was supposed to take place on December 10th in Rotterdam, New York. Uh, there, there's That's a crazy. business that was going to host a drag story hour for children. Um, and I was made aware of it and we started a campaign to bring awareness to it. And yes, it was ultimately canceled. Now, uh, someone it's been shared in local groups, uh, and in one of those sharings actually on the news article, their Facebook page, the, the, um, the organization, they, um, had a comment where someone accused me of being a white supremacist. Specifically, uh, on my on my Facebook, I have a picture of me with my godson, and he is part of the reason I do this as well. And the person commented, "Does your does that child in your picture know that he's sitting next to a white supremacist?" Now, here's the thing that's just crazy, right? Yes. They're coming from this, every this, angle. This is what I mean. This is what I mean when I say, Jeez. you know, they deflect, they distract. Because the drag queen, first of all, I don't know where race was involved right. in this. The drag queen is that. white. <laughs> I I will admittedly, I am not familiar with the business owner. I yeah. believe she is white as well. Uh -huh. So I'm curious. This was about drag, but the accusation was white supremacy that yeah. was thrown. And this is what we talk about when we say that they need to deflect, they need to distract. And the reason they need to distract is because they know on some basic level, these individuals know that what they are pushing is wrong. They yeah. have to know, and they know they can't defend it. It mm -hmm. is indefensible, and they know that. So since they can't defend it, 
They have to distract. And this individual called me a white supremacist, hoping that I would bite and that right. we would go down a rabbit hole right. of them accusing me of being racist instead of staying focused on the fact that this drag queen wanted access to children. Right. But, but the drag queen was white too? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the drag queen. <laughs> yes. so I, I, think, I think I saw the, the like, video. Of the paler dude. than me. Paler than me. I, I, in, in, so, at least it's... Um, at so, least. They're just right, so finding they're, ways to attack your character. They're just finding ways to yes. break you down, even if it's your race. Yep. Even it's like your blonde supremacist. Your Exa- this. Exactly. Because <laughs> exactly. you're a supremacist. You know? This is crazy because like, yeah, like I mean, even when we had Rachel on the show, you know, yep. she was talking about how they were calling her like a Nazi. Right. Oh, uh, yes, yes, yes. Nazi and like she was really offended by that, but I I I understand 100% why. But it's just they will get you for they'll try to get anything in you or at you to like get you to be the evil person. So this is why you can't believe everything everybody says, and this is why it's important that you guys in the organization speak up a lot more often because that's something that you have to like push down. That image. Well, they need to make you more hateful than themselves. They need to make you, in their mind, more dangerous than the ideology that they're pushing. And the reason oh, they wow. need to do that is, think mm-hmm. about this. They need, they need for the world to hate us. And the reason why they, <laughs> they need for the world to hate us is because and they need for the world to label us evil. And here's why. Because... Generally, historically speaking, when a group of people, when there's a campaign that is success, successful in laboring, labeling them evil or you know the othering othering them right you can it's then easier to justify doing truly horrific things to them it's easier to justify silencing them jailing them and historically time and time again this has been the case and these people pushing the indoctrination sexualization and medicalization of children they know that that's what they have to do to their opposition they have to make us look evil so that they can then get the culture behind silencing us persecuting us prosecuting us, shutting us down, just absolutely removing any freedom we have to fight and protect children. That is what they need to do. Once you, once you can convince people that this certain group is evil, you can justify doing the most horrific things to them. And yeah, great, great point. That was awesome. But like the, the, also the, another thing is crazy because that drag story, that drag person that you got canceled from that place, he posted something of him dancing in like... Leather and, and kind of half naked and twerking yes. and a corset. It's, <laughs> it's, it's, it it's kind of is <laughs> that the evil that that to me seems evil. I, I mean, but personally, I just feel like that's that's not appropriate, especially if you're gonna put that content into kids. Like kids are gonna see this guy. How do you know one of those kids, a 12, 13 year old, isn't gonna go and follow him on Instagram or something? Well, and then see that themselves. Well, here's the thing: it, it's because this uh, that video he had uh, posted to his ex account. Um, yeah. And that was to, I guess, entice people to go to his OnlyFans. So, and he has an OnlyFans? <laughs> OnlyFans? And, and, yes. and, and the drag got an OnlyFans? <laughs> yes, yes. Oh, he, has, he has an, only fa- an OnlyFans. And it's not even so, so much the focus the on the OnlyFans, because the OnlyFans are set to private. I guess you need ID to even get an account but or whatever. This, but, but this was public. This was, this was on X. But this if was I was a X. parent, and <laughs> yes. I knew there was a drag person who has an OnlyFans that wants yeah. to read... To yeah. my kid, exactly. I, and, and what if he was your kid's teacher, though? You know? I, he, no, he wouldn't be my kid's teacher. See, and this, I would breathe fire so, on. I'm, I, like, no, that no one's going around my kids. Certain professions, I do believe, in to a degree, especially certain professions when it comes to children, morality clauses, and okay. that we would deal. With, that's how we would address a teacher who was in any way, you know. I mean, that is in its own way. Prostitution. Mm. You're putting your body out there and making money off of it, mm-hmm. and you're doing it via sex. Now, what what's you know what's crazy about that is the fact that you know people are like, oh well, that's something he does on, on his own time and stuff like that. But drag itself. So here's the thing: the history of drag is rooted deeply in sexual expression. Yeah. There is no separating drag from that history. It's just not possible. Mm. It would be like trying to make burlesque or some other kind of striptease, mm. fan dancing, a, a, a kid-friendly. 
you can't do that. No, right, there's, right, right. you just don't do that. And so it's just like, and, 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 and when people are like, well, it's about acceptance. I'm like, acceptance of what? Why yeah. do, why do essentially cross-dressing men who are performing as a caricature of womanhood, exaggerated caricature of womanhood, why do they, why is that the only way to teach acceptance or love or tolerance of anything? And I'm like, and they'll bring up, well, you know, uh, you know, gays, it's, you know, because they call you homophobic for one stop drag. I'm like, you do realize that not all gays are involved in drag, right? Yeah, and actually, right. not all drag queens are even homosexual, believe it or not. Yeah, that's what I so, want to talk about as well. So it's just bit. crazy. So what you're saying then is you're trying to strictly associate drag with gays. I've never done drag. That does. I have friends who have done drag, but mm -hmm. I've never done drag. That's not me bashing drag. If you're doing it in an all-adult environment, people, adults go there for that entertainment, and that's fine. I've been to a number of drag shows, but... It is just not acceptable for children. And so it just blows my mind when they try to do this and say, we want to make a friendly, a child-friendly version of it, when you know you would not try to do that with burlesque or fan dancing. Although, who knows? We are probably going in that direction where they will try to make those child-friendly as well. Yeah. Oh, yeah, it's, it's, it's a lot for them to, like, really be pushing that type of stuff onto kids. And, like, it, you know, as, as it continues to be talked about, I feel like the, the thing that I'm worried about is that, you know, as we continue to talk about it, is it going to sort of set a tone for normalization of it? Mm -hmm. you know, and like that's that's like what I worry about sometimes because, you know, at some point it's like how much can you talk about it until people start really hearing about it and then it becomes normalized to them. I mean, it's just it's just kind of like something that kind of. And, and that's the hope. Bit. That's the hope. Yeah. Right. If you keep pounding it, you know, into the public's, uh, into the into their lives, right? Mm. And you keep reiterating it, pushing it, pushing it, pushing it. A lot of people, unfortunately, they give up. It just, it does become the norm. Yeah, um, it's like kind of like, I feel like a lot of times the gays against groomers is almost like, I don't know if you like Star Wars or whatever, but I kind of <laughs> make the metaphor to like the rebels versus like the empire. Right? <laughs> and like the fucking, the, the drag people are like the empire, like Darth Vader and Dark and stuff. And the, the rebels are like on the mm -hmm. light side, right? And like, is it kind of like, you know, how much can you really yep. fight after a while until you actually get tired? and you're just like I tried my best and like it's still happening what do we do um, and we're hey we're aiming for that sweet spot right we're yeah. gonna hit it and we're gonna you know take it down and I Kill that thing, death star <laughs> the good I know exactly the 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 I'm more of a Trekkie though by the way so okay. uh, but yeah, yeah, yeah no yeah, I know yeah. Star Wars I've seen them yeah, yeah, um yeah. but it's it's so it's it's just it's absolutely insane, but also the thing is that, is that the benefit is we have a lot of stubborn people in our organization. We have people who are, you know, we're like, call us David because we're not afraid of Goliath. Nice. And we will keep pushing. We are just, I am an individual yes. personally okay. where I love to hear even, that. When I'm, to hear. even when I'm at my lowest, something in me will not let me give up. And I, yeah. and I get back up. I brush myself off and I push forward. And like I said, especially since becoming the chapter leader for Gays Against Groomers New York, I've had some pushback. I've had, you know, people throw so many accusations at me. And I don't know if maybe part of the reason is because I was once an activist in that community mm -hmm. that for me, I, it's, I, I, it's easier to just brush it aside, right? Yeah. To be like, well... I mean, that's adorable. You think those words are going to influence me in that fashion, but they're not stopping me. They're absolutely not. You can threaten me, all this stuff, because what I'm fighting for is above you, and it's it's actually above me. That's part yeah. of one of the things. That a, lot, a lot of these people are also very selfish, right? Because one of the other things I get is, even though we're a nonpartisan organization, Gays Against Groomers, we have m members and supporters from across the political spectrum. I've interacted with a number of Democrats who support us, libertarians, just all across. Um, obviously, one of the accusations we get is that we're an extreme right conservative organization. And one of the things that get said to me a lot is, well, you, these conservatives are just using you and they're eventually going to turn on you and all this stuff. Because mm. uh, obviously we do have conservative supporters. Yeah, yeah. And for me, here's where I say they're trying to get me. That's a selfish argument, right? Yeah. Because first of all, that's not true. I know a number of conservatives who full-heartedly support us, and you know they stand behind us, and that's amazing. I am so thankful that, for them. But I say, let's even say that was true. Yeah. Let's say that there was some plot uh, to you know by the evil uh, conservatives to use us and then stab us in the back. That would not change my mission. That would not change my belief, my okay. values. That it is wrong. The indoctrination, sexualization, and medicalization of children is wrong, and that's above me. Yeah. Regardless of what is going to happen to me, children have to be protected. So even if that was true, even if these
these conservatives were going to stab me in the back and, you know, were going to turn out to be that. I still would push to put an end to this stuff because this is about children. This is about my godson, my six-year-old godson, and protecting him because one effeminate interest, one feminine interest in school, a teacher could see that and put him on a path to just... A horrible path of obviously we're talking indoctrination, medicalization, uh, ultimately mutilation, sterilization, all this stuff. And that frightens me. I think of the child I was when I was a little boy. I had a lot of traditionally feminine girl interest. I'm going to be honest. I did want to play with the dolls. I did prefer to have um, female friends. I had a lot of interests that were... Objectively, they were more feminine. And I just am terrified if I was a child today, what path would that put me on? Yeah, yeah and it's crazy because now that's, this goes into the whole topic of gender ideology and things yes. like that. So like to talk more about that because that's a big portion of, I think, the Gays Against Groomers sort of uh, push to like, you know, not really push gender ideology. Gender ideology is something that I just wanted to ask, what are your viewpoints on gender ideology and what do you think about it for the organization or... What does the organization so, itself say about it? Well, the organization, we are specifically focused, obviously, on um, protecting children. Yeah. You know, we you, we stand firmly. Children cannot consent. They're incapable of consent, especially when it comes to their bodies. And that's usually the first question I ask people. Uh, one of the first questions is, do you believe that children are capable of consent? And specifically, do you believe they are capable of consent when it comes to their bodies? Usually this gets m- me blocked. You know, I'll get, you know, profanity tossed at me. Or they'll try to come up with something else and take us down a different rabbit hole. Um, But when it comes to gender ideology, we're specifically is that this is not appropriate for children. As I said, you know, the whole thing is specifically on children. You know, it's it's interesting because... um, a lot of people do conflate the LGB and T, right? And the fact is, is that even historically speaking, the language has changed. So uh, I back when I was an activist, there were a number of trans people I knew. And the language they used at the time was, I do not identify as the sex I was born, right? Mm-hmm. So they're acknowledging biology. Okay. These old school trans individuals, adults, yeah. acknowledged that they were still their biological, um, you know, so that they were still their biological sex. There was no changing that. Yeah. You know, they also acknowledged that they had a mental health condition and that at least for them, they felt that expressing it, you know, doing so, you know, but even then the process was different. Even for adults, you're talking years before they were allowed to even transition in any meaningful way. Right. right? Yeah. Now, one visit you can get hormones. Yeah, so it's it's absolutely yeah. insane. But like I said, the language has changed. It went from I don't identify as the sex I was born, so an acknowledgement of biology, of truth, mm-hmm. to I don't identify as the gender I was assigned at birth. Okay, yeah. the only thing assigned to me at birth was my name, uh, not my sex. Mm-hmm. They they made an observation. That was an observation. My sex was an observation. Yeah, I mean, you have a penis, so you're, exactly. you're a male. I mean, <laughs> so that, that, that's my thing about gender ideology is that I know a lot of the organization is mostly geared towards kids. But my concern is like, you know, if you have adults going around believing this stuff, they're the ones that are yes. socially uh, producing this sort of idea to kids, and you know the kids are carrying exactly. It. So that's what I'm trying to say. We like, and, yeah, and that's where we address the adults when they're pushing it, right? If we yeah. see, if we find a teacher in school, especially, or we find we have examples of parents who are pushing it. I remember watching this one interview. Uh, I forget what segment it was in the um, network it was on, uh, but. This mother was talking about how she knew her daughter, so her her son, her her biological uh, biological boy, uh-huh. so her son. But she said daughter. She knew her daughter was a girl before she could talk. What? How See, like, do you how how on earth could you possibly know that? Yeah. How <laughs> that's what I'm trying I've to say. Like, like like, yeah, on Twitter and stuff, and, there are a lot of videos like that. And, and the irony is they use they. We are also talking about people who also rage against gender norms, right? They rage against, you know, if anyone suggests that this is for a boy or this is for a girl. However, they use gender norms to argue that a child is trans. Well, little Tommy likes Barbies or cries uh, and wants to wear dresses or little Sally screams to the top of her lungs and doesn't want to wear dresses. You hear these stories again and again. So the irony is they, they screech against gender norms, but then they use them to say this child is trans. 
I, I just, I, I feel, yeah, like exactly like that. Like it gets, it gets socially contain contagion to like mm-hmm. parents, certain parents and, yeah. and adults. And that's where it's coming from. So when, when you say something like, Oh, you know, it's okay for an adult to identify as like non-binary or anything like that. I, I just feel personally that it's kind of like still pushing the idea of gender ideology to the kids. So like, you know, it's kind of like one of those things where you, you either stop where it's coming from, or you tell people like, this is not healthy, whatever the case is, because that can, that's where it's coming from. Or those people are the adults. Yeah. And I know it's like, it's okay. If you're an adult, do what you want. You have the freedom. It's a free yeah. country to do what you want. Right. But it's like that, that's where you kind of have to like draw the line where don't bring this to the kids. Yes. But it's still going to be pushed to mm-hmm. the kids regardless almost. Yeah. Well, I mean, you're that's setting an example kind of thing. Yeah, you're and setting that, an example, yeah. So like, that's why, I, I, that's why like my, me personally, I don't agree with gender ideology like at all almost. Like I know it no. sounds like a radical standpoint. No, but I, that's just like my, where I, I just feel like it's, it's something that if it's, it, why did, why did kids start getting these ideas? You know what I mean? Like, it's it's interesting. I, that's just my question. Well, it started yeah. as that. I mean, at the end of the day, historically, if you look at it, there's there's a whole history of what had led to it. Some people would point to, you know, the uh, sexual revolution, and then some people would also point to feminine, you know, and some people feminism. Would also point to the fact that and gender ideology was actually created by a guy named John Money, who was a yeah. pedophile. You know, so yes, it even yes, has pedophilic yes. roots. And even that yeah. is connected, obviously, to children, right? So, like why, so why would adults want to carry that within themselves? And, they, you know, like, so. Yeah. And then the best way that we address <laughs> the adults, though, is we have these conversations with them, right? Especially. Exactly. So this is what we do. We challenge them. We challenge the adults. So that that is, for us at Gays Against Groomers, we challenge adults mm-hmm. who are pushing it because that's connected to protecting children. And, and I can see. So we do. You guys put the scissors between the, the LGB <laughs> scissor TQ, right? I always oh, point yeah. that out because I always <laughs> that it's like a little it's like a little subliminal you know it's yeah yeah we do and and here's the thing is that even old school um trans individuals acknowledge that we are not the same right yeah, i yeah. remember the old the old school saying was that um when it came to the difference between trans and gay right was that um or you know sexual orientation and gender identity was that sex uh, sexual orientation was about who you were going to bed with yeah and the Trans ideology, tra- being trans was about who you wanted to go to bed as. So yeah. that was a distinction. And even trans activists mm-hmm. back in the day, um, they acknowledged that. And they actually wanted us to be separate. I knew a number of trans people back in the day who were very big. These were older individuals who were like, no, we're not the same. We're not the same movement. We might get together and have conversations, but we are not mm-hmm. the same. And they themselves were adamant about this. And ultimately what their goal was, and this is why I have some respect for those individuals. I, I, my heart goes out to their struggle of course but here's why is that they just wanted to quietly transition uh as as adults as consenting adults they wanted to quietly transition and move on with their lives they did not want anything to do in regards to pushing this on children and they sure as heck weren't marching in the streets because really if the Mm -hmm. if the goal is to ultimately right convince right become convincing and all this stuff wouldn't your goal then to just be quietly transition as an adult if you really wanted to do this and then move on with your life try to assimilate into society as best you can not try to insert you know this into schools push this on children say that children can make these life altering permanent decisions or try to get involved in sports especially Mm -hmm. in schools uh locker rooms bathrooms in schools it's just like no 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 so that's why for me um, I do acknowledge the old school trans individuals who do stand up against this. The problem is, is that the loudest voices are these crazies who honestly, many of them aren't even trans, mm. right? Trans, how can you <laughs> be, true. I'm sorry. Trans activists. When, when trans I see the label, I am non-binary trans. How are you non-binary trans? Trans, to it, transition it, means to go from one point to another. Right. You're going from this to this, right? I am non-binary if, trans. Non-binary? non-binary trans, a.k.a. A confused. <laughs> yeah. It's just like, well, say that. That's the thing. Say you're confused. It's okay to say yeah. you're confused. I, I that have, is perfectly fine. It's interesting because, like, as a mental health counselor, I have clients that are straight, but one identifies non-binary. So it's not even a, a gay thing anymore. And that's that's like my concern is that people yeah, over here taking on these identities from the LGBTQ plus IA, mm-hmm. uh, you know, whatever, and and they and, and they're taking on these identities and then. They're making it a part of this, and they're straight. Well, that's <laughs> yeah. why I believe it's uh, is the fact is is unfortunately, and this applies to kids especially because uh, kids are very easily influenced. Um, is that we have become a culture where identity is currency. 
victimhood is currency. Mm. And how can you get mm. victimhood? How can you have mm. that currency? Well, what can you attach yourself to, right? I mean, trying to be transracial is a bit more difficult, right? I mean, right. you know, there's a bit more uh, with that, although there's a whole discussion to have about that because that is an actual Maybe I thing. can transition. Um, <laughs> but but so so that's, you know, that's a topic. I know, I know. I, <laughs> that if, that if looks I get, nice. If, I if want I, that. If I allow myself, uh, if I allow myself to, you know, get some sun, I actually tan pretty well. Um, but so, so this is the thing, right? So it's about get, what what is the easiest identity to connect yourself to, right? Yeah, I what identity can you say you are, but there's no effort involved, really? Mm. Well, so, because here's the thing. If you notice the increase in identifying as queer or LGBTQIA, oh, A through Z, you know, if you notice, it's all it, the, the increase is non-binary, oh. uh, fluid, um, some bisexuality, but you yeah. really aren't seeing that drastic increase specifically in gay or lesbian and homosexual. Why? Because homosexual, you actually are. You actually are those things, yeah, right? Yeah. I am married to a man. Yeah. I would date men, right? But if you say you're bi or you say you're non-binary or you say you're fluid, gender fluid, right? You can you don't actually have to do anything other than dye your hair a certain <laughs> color. <laughs> but no, I'm just kidding. But, <laughs> but you, you don't you don't you don't or I guess in piercings, but you you yeah, really right. you really Tattoos. don't have to do anything. It is the easiest identity to connect yourself to and that's why i believe there is a cultural contagion here yes. going on and they're choosing the lgb and t and all the way through because they know it's the one that you just have to say it and bam and it's a, and you're it's a part a, of it you're it, a victim so it, that's why it's important as a mental health counselor that uh, you know, when I work with individuals who classify themselves as non-binary, mm -hmm. I, I see how it makes them struggle. I kind of yeah. see uh, how it influences their anxieties and the depressions to take on such an such an identity. And the reason mm -hmm. for that is because I feel like that identity is not really looked at or as accepted as much in the society as we think it is, you know? No, and, no. And, and that's what it is. The media kind of portrays it out there. And it's so interesting because this is where your organization comes into play. They'll see you guys as the bad guys, <laughs> but then they'll see the yep. people who are pushing these I gender ideology um, agendas onto kids as the good guys because mm, it's all about yep. acceptance, all about inclusivity. And they're using that as the guys to basically promote that sort of ideology to people. And I see people mentally suffering because mm -hmm. of it. Like as a mental health counselor, it is important for me to voice myself as what I see because I feel like it's helpful for society and the community in general. Mm -hmm. I see how people who are consider themselves to be non-binary, how it affects them in negative ways. And I could go on all day talking about all the clients I've worked with that identify as non-binary and how it affects them in negative yeah. ways. And from a personal perspective, and I guess get a little bit philosophical on that, because uh, it does play into what I do and my involvement in the organization, is that I look at our world, especially our youth, and I see a bunch of lost souls, right? It's because we have removed from our culture, or at least we have um, devalued so many things in our culture that was so essential. We've devalued family, we've wow. devalued community, we've devalued mm -hmm. faith. Talks we've taken away all the things that gave us meaning, gave us purpose, yeah. and we've labeled them bad, right? I mean, for the, the, the family unit, the traditional family unit has been labeled racist by some for crying out loud, mm -hmm. and also um, homophobic, right? Um, even to the fact where I've been accused when I married my husband, and we I got accused of being heteronormative by some right because it had a, that's a term is heteronormative right yeah, heteronormative, so yeah. so we've devalued these um cultural institutions and it's resulted in a lost generation and they're looking for meaning and purpose since they don't have those things as strongly anymore since they don't have family in the same way or community or com uh, community like around i remember i knew all my neighbors that's not so much the truth anymore yeah, me too. it's not that's currently crazy. right when i was growing up we'd go out inside and play with the Early neighborhood 90s. kids right and you had a neighborhood mom she had all the kids in her home and stuff, yeah. right? This doesn't exist the same way. Mm -hmm. And since all those foundations are gone or they're cracking, they're crumbling, right? We have lost children and they look to social media. They get exposed to what becomes social contagions. We've seen yeah. ticks. We've seen a while back there was this, uh, I forget, I, I don't even think she was American-based, but this TikToker, I believe, she 
post a video of her tics, right? And then suddenly these girls across the world started developing these tics who, for, who could be traced back to following her. So these children no longer go outside and play. They're not sent out to play. They're on their phones. They're connected to social media. And they are lost souls. And we as humans are driven to find purpose in our yeah, lives, right? We need to find meaning. Whether we find that in work, faith, family, we need meaning. And since we have torn down all the cultural pillars, all the institutions, or we are we're doing our best to tear them down, they look for meaning and purpose in other places. Meaning and purpose right now can be found in identity politics. It can be found in victimhood. So, of course, it makes sense. There is a cultural contagion out there. Now, me, so I get, I get told, like, oh, well, do you believe you were born gay, right? Do, you, do I believe I was born a homosexual? For me, yes, absolutely, I do. I believe that in general, sexual orientation, you know, because... It's seen in nature. We exi it exists in nature, right? Yeah. So it is most assuredly natural. However, just because I believe that sexual orientation, someone someone is generally born right, uh, gay or straight, um, that doesn't mean that the people can't be confused and led down a path of confusion. That is completely possible. And if you yeah. are a lost soul, a truthfully lost soul, trying to find purpose, you will go against your nature to find purpose because maybe maybe this will make you happy i i, I agree 100 yeah. that. that's pretty deep yeah like the um because in human sexuality when i teach that course a lot of what they say is that you know sexuality can also be influenced by the environment as well and you see this in different types of mm -hmm. cultures like you see this in the in the sambia people of new guinea where they make every man in that tribe uh homosexual at first to become a man like it's part of their ritual or rites yeah. of passage so everyone in that tribe participates in um, you know, sexual acts with the same sex, especially yeah. the men. And then when the men are finished with the with the ritual, then they go on to then they're able to yep. lead a, a heterosexual life and get married and have kids. So that, that and that's this distinguish. Uh, I make the difference between being a homosexual and homosexual acts. Right? Homosexual yeah. acts are not necessarily, uh, you know that. That someone is a homosexual. Yeah, exactly. Um, so it's I, like, it's, it must have been hard for some of those people to probably engage in oh, that. Oh, absolutely, really, absolutely. But, but to them, it's interesting because when those, uh, um, what are they? When those people went to navigate and, and explore them, they asked those people, you know, do you find this wrong? And all the men were saying, like, no, this is just. This is no. how we live. This is what our lifestyle is all about. And to bring it back to really kids, I know a gentleman that when he was a minor, yeah. he got heavily into drugs. He was very lost, right? Mm -hmm. he, these pillars weren't really there for him. The pillars I mentioned, community, family, faith in the same way, or at least he didn't feel connected to it, right? He felt disconnected to it. And he got into drugs. Mm -hmm. Now, mind you, still a minor at this phase. Uh, he got so into drugs where he was desperate to find purpose and also fill his need for these drugs that he took part in homosexual behavior. Mm -hmm. He had sex with men for drugs. Even though he himself has no physical attraction to men, he was desperate for this so, so he and that is one of those things where environment yeah. can absolutely lead someone to take part in a sexual act that is not natural that is and, not in line with their nature and not even just on terms of gay and straight but also in terms of hypersexual um, and hyposexual like your environment can elicit a lot of hypersexuality by threatening your senses with pornography mm -hmm. uh highly like sexual content things like that and you know there's a lot of what people are consuming which, which that brings me to another interaction i had since helping to get the dragon event canceled right mm -hmm. is I, I went back and forth with this one guy mm -hmm. because what pushed me to get really involved i was running for office in the city of schenectady upstate oh, new york nice. i was running uh for mm -hmm. city council i had ran once before and i decided to run again this time i had at least more local support mm -hmm. um not going into political affiliation because we are nonpartisan, but i was running for city council <laughs> and and what this past June changed everything for me. Like, don't get me wrong, it, it hit home. Like, I had been speaking out, posting on social media against what was happening with kids for a while, right? Uh, that exposing children to drag is wrong, mm -hmm. having a child do drag is wrong, all this stuff, right? I, I, I had been doing that for a while. But then this past June especially, in my own backyard, while it may not have been to the extent as certain cities where you actually had fetish on display whipping in front of children and an uh, old man in Minneapolis uh, twerking in front of children, looking wow. them in the eye at the pride parade in his, in his tidy whiteies yeah. is disgusting. But in my area... In my area, there was a pride, Schenectady Pride, and there is a video, short clip, of a child. She could only be like 10 years old. She is on stage shaking her hips, 
next to drag queens, dressed very sexually. Now, I brought this uh, this video to attention, right? This guy comes at me, and he's like, oh, well, that just looks like fun. And I'm like, wait, so fun. part of your idea of what? fun is to watch a young girl on stage shake her hips next to cross-dressing men. That's this is crazy. part of your idea of fun. You labeled this one. And he got mad at me, even swearing at me eventually, wow. trying to label me the sexualizer and all this stuff. I'm like, no, 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 no. You're the one that is looking at this video of a 10-year-old child shaking her hips on stage next to two cross-dressing men, two men in drag, and other adults. Other adults were there too. And, you, and I'm the one? That is in the wrong fun, I don't consider I'm, that fun. I'm having I don't, disturbance. I don't consider that fun. <laughs> I'm, party pooper, I'm the bad guy. That's the crazy thing, right? Is yeah. I thought I'd be considered a bad gay for not being fashion forward, right? I have no sense of fashion. I thought, you know, not watching RuPaul's Drag Race would make me a bad yeah. gay. But apparently, here in 2023, right now, what makes me a bad gay, what makes me a traitor, is standing against the indoctrination, sexualization, and medicalization of children. Yeah. Of saying that children cannot consent, apparently saying children cannot consent, especially when it comes to their body, that's what makes me a bad gay. And that, that, <laughs> well, it's, it's very admirable of you to like, you know, um, stick to your values and what you really believe. And I feel like that's very important in any sort of life life situation. I think sticking to your values and having values are very important. Yeah. I just feel like when when you do things like that, when you when that person looks at this girl and sees that as fun, that's, where are your values? <laughs> And where's your morality? I mean, talking about morality, you know, it's 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 like crazy. To, to and then they try to tell you what they try to tell you though is, and this is the funny part, is they say that you're the one that's sexualizing it. That that man, like I had someone when I posted that video, this is someone I actually knew, of the old man in his underwear gyrating in front of children, twerking and looking children directly in the eye. And I was talking about how disgusting it is. You know what he said? He said he blamed the people for sexualizing the old man. He said it was the people who were sexualizing the old man. What? Like, what? That, and that's what they tell you. When you point out this inappropriate behavior, when you're like, hey, this is disgusting, this is wrong, so what's being done to children, okay. Yes, they, they say that you are the one that's wrong because you're making it sexual. I'm sorry, a 10-year-old on stage thrusting, a, you know, shaking her hips next to these adults to sexual music I'm not the one sexualizing anything. That is sexual. That is disgusting. And, and I think we have to talk a little bit. Like, I guess in this, what this is bringing me towards is a conversation of morality to some mm -hmm. degree, like psychological levels. I don't know. Yeah. Just to bring it in for the psychological, psychological part of the whole conversation is that when you look at, there's actually a, a, a theor, uh, psychologist or theorist, his name was Kohlberg, and he developed this idea of the theories of moral development. And Kohlberg basically established these stages of moral development where it was the pre-conventional morality, conventional morality, and then the post-conventional morality. And in this, he says basically that the conventional morality is more about law and order and things like that. And like, you know, laws have to be implemented in a society and that's morally good. But he says this idea of post-conventionality, post which is the idea that um, we should be more concerned about the welfare of all humans and things like that over... Uh, items or possessions and things like that like you have to sort of be um you know mindful of humanitarian ways of being and things like that which i agree but then i want to add into because i feel like this is where a lot of these people are living in is a like a more post post conventional <laughs> morality where they feel like you know oh because the old man is uh you know turned on by that we should respect his his uh ways yep. of uh, sexually yep. feeling and we should also yep. uh re respect pedophiles because that's just their human human course yep. of nature so i feel like that part of post post conventionality con conventionality is very dangerous oh god what is, what know, is the it's like what, very interesting oh, what's the wording they use is to why yeah which is why you have the term map right map M minor not, attracted people and that, that's what those people disgusting those, that's where that post post conventionality of morality i believe is becoming a thing that's my own personal add-on to yeah. Kohlberg's theory because Kohlberg stops it right there but now we're getting into the realm of like far 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 extreme left uh, sort of progressive ideologies, and that's where they're post. And, you know, when you think post everything is postmodernism, post this. Now, this is post post conventionality, and this is like the the part of morality that is not healthy and dangerous. And I think a lot of people are seeping psychologically into that 
subset of mm-hmm. morality b- breaking off of Kohlberg's uh, theory of morality. So and and ultimately, like, and it, it all speaks to the idea of the culture on the decline, right? Because mm-hmm. as you become, uh, historically, when you look at cultures on the decline, they did, they lost all those pillars. Um, they, the, the morality, they, like I said, that family, community, uh, faith, that sense of community responsibility, my brother's keeper, they all lost that. And they did, they fell hard core into the sexual component they gave in to the most primal impulses and unfortunately ultimately ended up sacrificing their more most precious gift their most precious asset which was their children and we're that's what that's the stage we're in we are we have turned an entire generation into lab rats, into guinea pigs. And what future generation is there when the when the result of this, in most cases, is sterilization? It's just, it's horrible. So, so you, you had a question about uh, the gag you said in the beginning that your goal is to not exist. And yes. I, I think you put it very beautifully. And I'm wondering if you guys had any, like, solidified objective goals that would make you guys go instinct. Like, what exactly do you want from politics, law, society, where, you know... You well, guys throughout the country, we have been... I, I don't have the exact number off the top of my head, but we have been involved in pushing legislation um, to make it illegal uh, to transition children, to expose ch- uh, children to drag. Like, we have been down. involved in that. So, okay. um, obviously, there's many different aspects. You have to come at a problem from many different angles, right? Okay. There is the um, speaking, just getting out there and speaking, mm-hmm. spreading the, wor- uh, the word. It's the campaign of awareness, right? Then it's the you got to get, you do have to, this is where why we are nonpartisan, and this shouldn't be a partisan issue, which is why we should be able to get you know, politicians from across the political spectrum mm-hmm. on board with saying, yeah, we are going to make this illegal. We are going to say no. We will not become a culture that believes that our children can consent to doing anything with their bodies. That is not who we will become. We will put a stop to this. And that is where we do. We have to do it from all those different spots, each culturally and politically. And remember, not through not through violence, through no. activism. No. So, it, not, yeah. so don't label it fascist because it's yeah, not fascist. Yeah, I know, right? It's not violent. You know what I mean? If it's a violent movement, then okay, yeah, but it's not... The gays against groomers. The only happening. violence here is the violence being done on children, yeah. and that 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 is the violence. And we're and we are we are steadfast. We are firmly um, against that violence, and that is the violence that we're looking to put an end to. Nice, cool. What what would you say to like other folks? I guess like Dre and myself, we're like Latino Catholics from New York, right? So we're like not part of any of these what you call before is like victimized groups. Right. Uh, whether, you know, whether it's our sexuality or gender or things yeah. like that, like for those folks who are kind of sitting in the sidelines and watching all this happen, but not wanting to directly get involved because of all these terms, all these names mm-hmm. that are thrown out there, misogynism and this and the your racism. So we kind <laughs> of just sit back. The right, people who know? are scared to speak up. Yeah. So like our people, we kind of like sit back and we're like, that's not cool with us, but we're not going to say anything because then pe- yeah. these other folks are going to attack us. And then that's going to be like carnage so like send them to us say? for a conversation okay. no uh, no live uh, <laughs> That's what you're doing, but, but yeah but no more than that it's about living living by example right okay. it, it takes one person and we see this time and time again in our culture in general right it takes one person to be brave and others will start to fall in line and start okay. to do that as well and here's the most important thing because we do get that a lot one of the things that is a focus is um you know, we, we get a lot of people who are scared, and I understand that. People, we live in a culture, a cancel culture. You can lose your job. You can lose all that, and I understand that. I'm not trying to play that fear down. I'm not, but at the end of the day, you got to make a decision. Yeah. What do you feel most? Or do you fear losing your job, or do you fear losing your child? Mm. Do you feel losing your culture, your heritage, your family? Do you feel losing your values? What do you fear more, losing that job, maybe not having your social media account, right, because people come at you? Tune them out. There's a block button, all that stuff. What do you, if just remaining silent, all the things you cherish, you're going to lose anyways. Yeah. Like you are, you're going, you, you might lose a job if you speak up, but you're going to lose what's at the heart if you don't speak up. That's what you're going to do. You know what, Kevin, it's, it's interesting because I feel like that, um, that's what happened with me. Like I felt scared at first to talk about mm-hmm. it. And you know, me and Kevin have been doing this podcast for almost a year already, for about a year already. And, you know, it's interesting because when I first started, I had that fear to speak up. But then I became a dad or I was Mm. a dad. And that fear, I recognized this could potentially affect my son and my kids. 
And that's why now I'm putting my foot down and being more assertive in what I feel is necessary to just protect my child and, you know, speak up. If, it ha if I have to speak up, um, I'm going to speak up and I'm going to assert myself. And interestingly enough, becoming a godfather was one of the transformative moments for mm. me. Well, um, yeah. You know, my, my baby cousin, she had she, she got pregnant and she asked me to be a godfather, to be nice. the godfather, me and my husband to be godfathers. And I and here, so here's the thing, right? About a year after she gave birth to him. So, you know, she wanted to meet up with us at the local pride. Right. And I had gone to pride many times before. And so she shows up and she brings him and I'm holding him. Right. And. Where I am, it's not like New York City Pride. Mm. It does tend to be a bit more reserved and stuff. But people yeah. still will be out there at times. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's getting bad. It's getting more like New York yeah. City. But, I mm. mean, for crying out loud, up where we were, our Pride Parade at one point, the, ten of the groups were churches. And most all, you have some certain floats. But, but that year, that year when I was holding my godson in my hands, standing along the parade route, I looked and... I saw it differently. Wow. I no longer saw it as someone who was just going to Pride to have fun. have fun. I saw, I looked at Pride, and I was seeing it through the eyes of a man who now has a child in his life that he wants to protect, mm -hmm. who he wants to keep from harm. And once I saw it through those eyes, it was one of the transformative moments for me, and it put me on this path. And, you know, he's six years old now, but really... Being at Pride with him in my arms and looking and seeing in that way from a parental, from a, a parental perspective, I was like, I can't be with this in that way. I can't. Kids should not be here. And that was one of the transformative moments wow, for me. Wow, that's deep. Yeah, yeah, that's really deep. deep. For me, it was also, I mean, I don't have any kids, but it was also my goddaughter and it was my nieces and yeah. nephews seeing that. Yep. But also, you know, like Trey was mentioning before, we've been at it for a year in the podcast and- as a therapist, I was thinking of also stepping down just because, like you were mentioning before, the victim mentality, I felt like I was being trained to mm. have that as the center of uh, my patients and my work and my clients. And I was really taken aback. I was like, I don't think this field is for me because I do not see, you know, you next to me. I do not see your identity as something yep. that's oppressive. I see you as a clean slate. as a human yep. being, right? And starting from there. And it really wasn't until, like, I really started working with Dre and seeing, like, his perspective on things were very aligned with mine as yeah. well, right? And I didn't feel, now I felt like I could be a helper and not just someone who kind of, like, is coddling all these yep. ideas and all these things that are coming up. And every day there's, like, these new identities and gender and things. And I'm like, that's something yep. I'm not in agreement with, um, yeah. not only for myself and my practice, my nephews, my nieces, and all that good stuff. Yeah. Um, and, and this gonna, and, and yeah. yeah, that goes into the whole idea of like gender affirming care and things right. like that. And like, exactly. it's just something I don't agree with. And like, I I, I wouldn't want to like affirm anybody's gender. And we talked about this on the previous interview and stuff. And and it's it's a crazy yeah. concept. And and here's the thing: is that you guys doing this is actually to a degree more important in some ways than even what we do at Gays Against Groomers. And here's why is you are the change by just the people, right? Not not necessarily from organizations or anything like that. You are coming from that as you're just the people working with this. Obviously, you know, and that is what is needed is that it takes those few voices. I mean, we at you know, Gays Against Groomers, I am so proud to be a member of this. I am honored to be a member of this organization and I do look forward to the day when we don't exist. Is the thing is we're not necessarily change. We are more a catalyst for it. Mm -hmm. We are more of a a way we want to offer a way to make that change happen or to get that word out there to help to help with that awareness campaign is that we need the people. The people are more important. The parents are more are the most important speaking up. Um, people in the mental health field are, it's crucial yeah. that mental, mental health professionals start speaking out and not being That's afraid. Tough. And I'm that telling is you, crucial. I have tough. so many That's colleagues tough. that agree yeah. with what I'm saying and they're just scared to talk it, but yeah. I feel yeah. as I continue to voice myself, they'll come out of the shadows and join me. Uh, because so. I, I'm, I'm, I'm literally sometimes I feel like Join Dre us. is the catalyst <laughs> of the mental health profession yep, yep, to yep, push yep, yep. Join against us. this because yep. it is something that I am seeing and I'm pretty sure 
all their mental health counselors yes. and see it in their work as well how it's not helping how it's not helping yep. and i see it we have a good amount and of mental health counselors that follow and social workers and things who are just yeah. watching and from we're the just outside watching in. from the outside <laughs> and they're reaching out to me and they're yeah, like please I mean, keep going and i'll we'll probably have to get wrapped up <laughs> yeah, soon yeah, i do want, i do want to leave with this final you know yeah. this final point with that is like for anyone doing this or thinking about doing this one thing you need more than anything is a center you need something that when you are beaten down by it when you have been attacked and you feel tired and you feel drained you need that thing that centers you you need that thing that brings you back to it and i'm gonna be honest it can't be you it can't be yourself it can't be a selfish thing mm -hmm. for me it's my godson it's the children in my life that i want that i love and wish to protect it's all of our children i put them i put them above they are my north star and when I am down, when I am tired, when I feel drained, when I feel like I don't know what I can do more, I look at that star and I see that and I'm like, okay, I got to get up and move forward. Beautiful. So that's what everyone needs is that God, center. God yeah. save the children. Absolutely. Save the children. I've got my shirt. Is, you can get this shirt at Gays Against Groomers on their website. Yep. I believe it's uh, specifically shop.gaysagainstgroomers.com. Yes. Yep. And uh, where, could, where could all our followers find you and just shout yeah. out yourself? And where so, um, I mean, you can find me uh, at uh, on Twitter. Well, X. <laughs> I'm uh, at uh, Kevin M Hammer One. Um, you can find me easily um, on Instagram as well, uh, Kevin Hammer. Uh, please also follow us on Instagram and um, X uh, for Gays Against Groomers New York, and also obviously follow Gays Against Groomers uh, itself, the organization. I personally am on YouTube. Uh, the issues from left to right. Nice. Um, you know, I do what I can. Uh, having conversations on there um so yeah those are all, right. all places you can find me all right everybody thanks for tuning in uh this thank is kevin you. hammer thanks kevin for coming on the podcast yeah, awesome. and speaking awesome. it was pleasure. awesome to have you pleasure. on and hopefully one day in the future we'll see you again all right absolutely Take care. Peace. peace peace out